You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, August the 15th. Another glorious day here in TW11. Set to get really hot again, but then cool down later in the week as we're only 48 hours away from the Ebor Festival at York that begins on Wednesday. Later in this show, I'll be talking to Tom Palin of Midland Park Racing, who rolled the dice by supplementing their two-year-old filly, the Platinum Queen, for Friday's Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes. He'll tell me what prompted their decision. I'll also be catching up with the TDN's Emma Berry about what's been happening at the Arcana Dovil sale and the full brother to Sotsas making an awful lot of money and headed to Japan. Sports and commercial law solicitor Harry Stewart Moore tells me why any plans that might be afoot to curb the number of horses trainers could have in training would be subject to all sorts of legal challenges after Marcus Dragoning became the latest high-profile figure in the sport to suggest such a move over the weekend. And I head to Ukraine to check in with Alexander Malinovsky, to whom we spoke a few months ago about the unfolding situation in the country. Uh, he gives me an update on why racing has started again in Odessa, even though they're under sustained rocket fire, and what is the situation as regards the, the breeding farms under Russian occupation. But first of all, declarations just through for the Judmont International on Wednesday at York. Seven horses have been declared, amongst them the undefeated Baid. He has passed the routine scope that William Haggis was talking about on this show at the end of last week. That is good news. As I welcome David Yates from the Daily Mirror. Uh, Dave, Baid, as expected, one of the seven declarations, though there were a few anxious moments at the back end of last week, given one of his stable companions having to miss the Jacques Lamaua for a dirty scope. Yeah, certainly. It's it's the 50th anniversary of the Judmont International this year. It was run originally, of course, as the, the Benson Hedges Gold Cup. It's There have been some spectacular failures down the years, Nick. Um, there have been no fewer than 12 odds-on favourites that have been beaten in that time. Of course, it started with Brigadier Gerard and his defeat by Roberto. He was a 3-1 to on-shot in 1972. Subsequent to that, Derby Heroes, Grundy and Golden Horn in 1975 and 2015. They were both 9-4 to four on. And you can also throw in between those Oso oh Sharp and Kakoethes, who were 5-2 to two on. So it's been something of a of a graveyard of champions. Uh, among those, of course, you could also throw in Frankel, who won imperiously uh, when the odds-on favourite on his step up to 10 furlongs, which is exactly what Baid does on Wednesday. Does any of us think that Baid's going to be beaten? Well, I, I can't see it happening, principally, I think, because just looking at the horses behind in the betting, uh, Mishriff is is deemed by the bookmakers as the as the chief threat to Baid. I know he won the race last year, but that slow starting issue, which raised its head at Sandown in the Coral Eclipse and and possibly cost David Egan his association with Prince Faisal, that looked quite a bit more severe and and exaggerated in the King George at Ascot last time. So if that horse is the is the chief threat to Baid, then perhaps his backers have got nothing to worry about here. 
of course, Mishrift's record at Ascot, where he ran rather disappointingly in the King George, it has it's been a poor one over time. Uh, he doesn't like the place. Uh, York last year produced his absolute banner performance. The the difficulty with Mishrift, I've in my mind at least, that that, that slow starting issue is becoming worse. And I think that connections will be thus far connections of this horse in the recent past have been uh, very keen to, I think, gloss over that a bit. But I'm sure that behind uh, closed doors, they've been thinking, right, well, this horse basically has got one more chance. And if he if he blows the start on purpose and loses all chance in doing so, then probably we're going to have to bring his racing career to an end. A native trail is the third of the big three. Um, William Buick was excited when I spoke to him on Racing TV on Saturday about this horse's chance. And I put it to him that given that he he at least part proven his effectiveness over 10 furlongs by running such a good race just behind Mishriff in the in the Coral Eclipse, that he he might feel emboldened to ride him a bit more aggressively if he needed to. And he, he concurred, which m- makes him interesting for me. Native trail put up uh, the, his personal best in the eclipse obviously we don't have a uh, uh, vadani here we do have mishrif there was a head between them that day if mishrif and his starting problems get worse then obviously that puts native trail in the the, the box seat i think as the as the main threat uh, there there's always been that theory that 10 furlongs will suit this horse and despite a a, a third which in terms of his uh, placings is the the worst position of his career the fact that he did it in a in a, a a very good running of the eclipse and that he was beaten narrowly in the bronze medal position at the, and that the winner we think is if not an exceptional horse then an extremely good one suggests that that theory about the step up in uh, distance was held as much water as as we need it to that's the Judmont International takes place Wednesday, Friday. The Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes is the feature over five furlongs. A race open to all ages, and when I say all ages, two-year-olds as well, which always adds a little interest if you get a good two-year-old in receipt of lumps and lumps and lumps of weight. Very few jockeys can ride, said two-year-olds. One who can is Holly Doyle. No surprise, she's been booked to ride the Platinum Queen for owners Midland Park. She's trained by Richard Fahey. Her regular jockey is Asheen Orr, but he can't make the weight. I've been talking to Tom Palin from Midland Park Racing, and I asked him how difficult a decision it was to ask his syndicate members to part with £40,000 to supplement this very talented and very speedy filly. Um, I think it was a decision that gradually became a bit more easy to make as time went on. Um, as more information was coming to light, the, the syndicate were getting more and more excited. Um, her work was taking gradual steps forward as well, so she's improved since we saw her at Goodwood when she set that blistering time there. Um, and I think I think with certain horses going for different races and, um, and others going for different targets and not fulfilling their obligations in the race, I think it's become it's, it's got a quite an open feel to it, this Nunthorpe. And I think the more we sat down and looked at the sectionals, there's been some good work from many um many brains out there who know far more than ourselves who who can kind of say that he was a, it, it's an option we should be looking at taking up really and that's exactly what um it's exactly what the syndicate members of the platinum queen have decided to do they've been very sporting about this and, and she's earned now on forty thousand pounds in prize money and they, 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 they're they competitors they're, they're sportsmen they're sports people and they're wanting to uh, roll the dice and have a look at, at what we've got under the bonnet in this group one 
we know she broke the two-year-old track record at Goodwood that had been set earlier on in the day by by the Molcom winner. Is there is there anything particularly about the internal fractions that she can run that encouraged you? What it, what is it that really? Give, give me the specifics. It's just it's just the enthusiasm that was coming from Machine. He he felt he was only doing a half speed, and I think she was doing forty five miles an hour at the time, and he felt it was just effortless from her. She's got speed to burn. She's not just all speed. She's got class as well. Is what is what we're thinking. I believe she did a ten zero one um, furlong as well, which is pretty ungodly really isn't it you know that, that's those sorts of numbers are uh, epsom dash and um serious speeds to numbers aren't they so yeah I, I the numbers are supporting what you're visually seeing as well she's got good course and distance form her time there was good that day i think i think on weights and measures we were right up there with um with the favorites numbers as well i think we've only got a, a pound or two to find and obviously um and and obviously that 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 was quite an impressive performance in the City Wall Stakes from from Mr Tate's horse. Um, but look, we're, we're excited about taking our chance and, um, and and rolling the dice. And you've got Holly Doyle booked as well, can do eight stone two, absolutely no problem at all. Just one or two signs in her career that she's she's just not the most straightforward in terms of you, know, you don't want her to expend too much energy before she gets to the start. The, the prelims at York can be quite challenging for inexperienced horses. Uh, how how much is that playing on your mind, and what are you going to do to counteract that? Yeah, that is obviously something you've got to factor in. When it, it, I think you hit the nail on the head there, actually, Nick. It's, it, it is channeling that energy, channeling that speed, channeling that channeling that ability that we've got, and that's what Richard and the team are doing at home. There's only two people who ride her at home: a normal work rider and O'Sheen in any faster pieces. Um, we'd we'd love to have had O'Sheen on, but he can't do the weight, unfortunately. Uh, so that's why we've opted for Holly. Obviously, as you say, she can do the weight comfortably. Multiple group winning jockey. She's quite a positive going jockey as well she likes to be um, nice and handy on horses um and um and she's obviously going to be ridden very handily at york um i think the fact that we've got course and distance we've been to the naves Meyer, we've done that before we've experienced that with her um so richard and the team you know they've been around the bush a little bit so they know they, they know how to uh, look after these kind of horses but i think the fact that she's been there she's done that she didn't boil over she doesn't boil over she doesn't sweat um as you'll have seen at goodwood she's just She's just a forward-going, fast filly, and it's just about channeling that rather than having to keep keep her from sweating up and getting in a in a, in a tiz. She's she's actually quite sensible in that respect. She doesn't book kick in the parade ring. She takes it all quite well. It's just channeling, getting her down early, and getting her to um, switch off until you need to unleash her like a coil spring at the uh, as soon as the gates open. Tom Palin there from Midland Park, owners of the Platinum Queen, two-year-old contestant Nunthorpe on Friday. What sort of records have two-year-olds got in the race, Dave Yates? There's always the assumption that because they receive so much weight, they must have a an inordinately good chance. Uh, five two-year-olds have won the Nunthorpe, which celebrates its 100th year, but not its 100th running in 2022. We had three in the 50s, High Trees and My Bow and Ennis, and then latterly Lyric Fantasy in 1992, and then Kingsgate Native 15 years later. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Platinum Queen can do. She's got that one blot on her CV thus far when she was down the field at Royal Ascot and apart from that she's got a perfect record of course it's also worth pointing out that her run at Royal Ascot was the the most difficult race that she's contested in the Queen Mary so uh, we'll see how she gets on when she's elevated to group one company on Friday afternoon. 
Incidentally, I've also put in a call this morning to Sean Quinn, assistant trainer of Highfield Princess, the winner of Deauville's pre-Morris de Geest. You remember before the Morris de Geest, they were thinking they would run in the Nunthorpe. Then after the race, they're saying, well, that might be a bit much to ask her to do that. I'm told she's come out of the race exceptionally well. She's eating well. Her weight is very good. And although they're going to leave a decision right until the last minute, they've left her in the race. And I think the inclination at the moment is that the Quinn camp is leaning towards, leaning towards running Highfield Princess in the Coolmore Nunthorpe on Friday. As far as the rest of York this week is concerned, Dave, it, it does look, and I, I know I teed this up at the beginning of the programme, um, as far as the uncertain weather forecast, it does look as though many of the, the stars will be showing up. It does indeed. And and a bit of rain tomorrow or going into Wednesday, if it does materialise, will be very welcome for a, a few of the uh, connections of the would-be principles. But it would it might just be possible this week that we get the sort of perfect amount of rain. If it rains uh, tomorrow and, and softens the ground, which undoubtedly will have been watered over the last few weeks anyway, um, then we could have the clash between Stradivarius and Trushan, but on ground more akin uh, to that that would favour Alan King's horse. Um, it looks as though we've got Andrea Atzani on Stradivarius. Just, certainly he's he's jocked up in the uh, on the card at the moment with that interesting stuff, that interview with uh, Bjorn Nielsen in the trade paper on Sunday saying that Detour had asked to be taken off uh, Stradivarius. Well, if that's the case, then that's certainly a, an odd tactic for a top-class class jockey uh, who asked to be taken off a multi multiple group one winner but we'll park that for the time being yeah we ought to mention alpinista as well who's the most prolific group one winner that sir mark prescott has trained four group ones now uh, to what extent do you think she needs a a big performance in great britain to make people take her seriously yeah that of course there is a um a sense that uh when group ones are won in in foreign countries and and uh alpinista has three in Germany, Hoppergarten, Cologne and uh, Munich before that victory, of course, in the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud in France last time. Yeah, I think there's a there's an element of truth in that, that the British punters, I don't know that we we can really afford to be sniffy about the, the quality of our group ones compared to those on the continent as, as we once did and perhaps with a measure of justification. Um, I don't think we can these days, but yes, it would be nice to see her do it in the Yorkshire Oaks. And I, I would have thought that uh, for a, a filly who's uh, record while she has those victories on quicker ground just recently her improvement has been with a, a touch of give and I'm sure that Sir Mark Prescott and Kirsten Rousing would be happy to be a, so to see a bit of rain on the Naismire before she comes out on Thursday. Yesterday we saw the running of the pre-Jacques Lemarois at Deauville where Charlie Appleby was confidently expected to have another Group 1 winner to add to an already good day. He'd won a Group 1 in Germany, took another pattern race in France, but Caribus, in his words, didn't really turn up. Inspiral did, however, for Frankie Dottori and John Gosden, their first Group 1 victory since the partnership didn't come to an end, famously, a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, she bounced back from her Falmouth defeat. This was interesting for a number of reasons uh, in a race that was run at a, a scorching, relentless, too fast pace, Dave. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we There's always that old cliche about French racing being run at a dawdle. Well, that, that certainly threw that theory onto the fire yesterday. 
because it was a pretty scorching pace throughout. Um, Caribus and Inspiral were reined back by their jockeys. And it was Caribus, really, wasn't it, who was towards the outside of the field as, as he made his ground about a quarter of a mile from the finish. He looked as though uh, he was going to collect another Group 1 prize. But in the end... He flattened out into fifth, and in spiral was the one who really toughed it out under Dottori. She'd had that uh, break of just over a month since the foul mistakes at Newmarket, and it was a brave performance, as you say. It was a, a signature one in the sense that it was their first group one since the rapprochement between jockey Frankie Dottori and the trainers John and Thady Gosden. Light, light infantry ran a stormer to be beaten, a neck in second, and Erevan the same distance back in third. They were clear of order of Australia. But yeah, it's it's interesting that. the the um, I still feel that although John Gosden and Frankie Dottori, they're back living under the same roof, but I'm not sure they're uh, not in at least separate beds just at the moment. L listening to the interviews afterwards, um, John Gosden said uh, she didn't get any cover in the Falmouth and she over-raced, which is a, 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 a slight implied criticism uh, of the jockey. Dottori said uh, to Catherine Ford on At The Races, she's a filly that you need to know, i.e., you know, keep the keep the man on board who's uh, ridden to all these uh, victories in the past. So uh, we'll see how that plays out over the remaining weeks and months of uh, the campaign. What it seems likely is that uh, Dottori will be on board when Inspiral goes for the QE2. That at Ascot, of course, on Champions Day in October. But it was good to see her back. It, it was a real shock in the Falmouth when she was beaten at 7-1 to one on. Um, it gave us really something... Uh, very interesting to write about with uh, Prosperous Voyages win under Rob Hornby and all the all the plots and subplots uh, that that had involved over the, the British flat racing summer of 2022. But it was good to see her back yesterday. Well, if you were with me last week, you'll remember I talked to, to Freddie Powell, the executive director of Arcana, about the, the sale at Deauville, which is now in full swing. And we've seen some pretty lively trade already uh, emma berry is the european editor of the thoroughbred daily news and and joins me now emma what what kind of a sale is this what sort of feel do you get from from the place when who's it really cater for it caters for everyone around the world really i mean i think the real strong feeling before the sale started was that uh, the buzz was back you know there was a great vibe it's the first one in three years that everyone's been really easily allowed to travel so there have been plenty of people here from japan america australia you know all over europe um and yes it felt like it was going to be strong and it certainly started started very well we've just got one more session to go this evening monday and um yeah the, the typical sort of uh international partici participation that one might expect at this sort of elite level of the yearling market uh, tell me a little bit about the the top lot his pedigree and and how the bidding unfolded well, yes. I mean, he's, he was the one everyone was waiting for, Sotsas's brother, but not just Sotsas's brother, the half brother too. Sister Charlie, of course, is a, you know, has been a terrific mare in, in America, um, and my sister Nat as well, who's runner up at the Breeders' Cup last year. I mean, it's a, a young family still, and um, uh, bred by Ecury de Monso, which is the perennial leading vendor at, at this sale um so everyone expected and no one was disappointed because uh, it, it will end up 
pretty quickly being, you know, direct bidding duel, if you like, between uh, Sheikh Fahad and David Redvers and then Yoshito Yahagi, the Japanese trainer, uh, who in the end uh, bought him for 2.1 million and he will be trained in Japan. But uh, Mr. Yahagi, as we all know, loves to travel and he's already saying, I'd love to bring him back to France. So he'll be thinking, let's try for the second member of the family to win the arc, I'm sure. As Freddie Powell told us last week, that that private plane went from Saratoga to to Deauville, um, carrying many important influential uh, American buyers potentially on it. Uh, I see the Roth family uh, struck, LNJ Foxwood Stables. Um, Tell me a little bit about the horse that they bought. Well, they actually co-bred the horse with Equity de Monceau because they have some broodmares in, in France as well. Um, so they were effectively buying out their partners, if you like. Um, and But yes, uh, they had to go to uh, sort of seven figures to, to make sure that they, they kept hold of her. And um, yeah, they, they're pleased to you know, p- pleased to uh, keep hold of that family. And um, yeah, they've been, they've been sort of quite active in, in France for a while as, as have a number of American uh, breeders and, and um, owners. And I noticed that Godolphin were going long on Kingman again. That, that seems to be a bit of a theme this year. They've got a number of very good two-year-olds by him. They have. They've really supported him indeed. And uh, yes, picked up, picked up another one. And uh, yeah, they, they're selective buyers um, as you know, their breeding operation has, has been so successful in the last few years that they almost you know, don't need to but they always participate at the elite um, sales as buyers. And yeah, bought on, uh, you know, son of Shamadol on the first night. I didn't understand that completely. And extremely well-related cult, um, you know, very closely related to Lope de Vega. And uh, yeah, they've, uh, they, they do seem to love Kingman and are doing well with him. So it's no surprise there. So Marcus Tregoning has proposed the idea of curbing trainers' strings to, say, 80 or 100 horses. Is this practically workable under the current system of, of horse racing in the UK? Just for a little bit of context, I'm, I'm seeking the advice of Harry Stuart Moore, who's a partner of Stuart Moore Solicitors, who specialise in commercial and sports law. Harry's been on, on the show before. Uh, Harry, what do you think of this? Do you, do you think this is workable or would it just be legally challenged straight away? I think that there are certainly going to be uh, legal issues with it um, at a pretty early stage. Uh, obviously, a sports governing body is the uh, right body to make decisions as to the future of the sport and how it should be run for its best interests. But there are quite a lot of legal curbs on how it must do that. Um, and we go back to a, a, a horse racing case actually called Bradley and Jockey Club Uh and that established that sports governing bodies have to act in a way that's not unreasonable, irrational, arbitrary, or capricious. So that that's the the first hurdle that the authorities would have to um, to cross. Uh, it's quite a high bar, but um, I think there would certainly be uh, questions from you know, certain parties within the sport as to whether this was rational or arbitrary. Um, you then uh, another area that, that that might well come into play is uh, the law on legitimate expectation, uh, which used to be a law that said that governing bodies had to make sure that they were properly discussing changes in policy with uh, the participants in the sport. But commentary now appears to suggest that actually um, it's quite difficult to depart from a previously 
stated policy uh, if the participants have a legitimate expectation that you wouldn't depart from it and, and you can see that that might come into play here where you've got trainers who've been in the in the game for a long time saying well wait a minute my whole my whole setup is is, is based on having a certain number of trainers a certain number of horses in training uh, and I had le legitimate expectation you wouldn't come in and, and, and basically make that uh, business model um, unworkable uh, so that's another area and, and, and the other area that sort of immediately springs to uh, a lawyer's mind I think in these circumstances is the uh, common law restraint of trade which is uh, basically that as a matter of public policy uh, a person shouldn't be restricted in their ability to uh, earn a living uh, and to be as productive as possible um, now that's counterbalanced by whether there's a legitimate interest going another way so in other words if the bha or, or whoever ultimately was responsible for this could could make a very good case for why it would be in the interest of horse racing uh generally then they could overcome a common law restraint of trade argument and say well we might be uh you know harming a few trainers but uh, you know o overall and over the years this will be in the the interests of racing it, it's essentially a sort of you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs argument on that one uh, harry stewart moore there um just talking through some of the legal uh, obstacles there might be if a rule ever were brought in to curb numbers of horses trained by individual trainers that's quite interesting stuff dave we talk Week after week after week, and I know sometimes I come across as a bit of a sourpuss in saying it, it is the a, a significant interest when uh, smaller stables prevail, and it's the the opposite of that, the converse when uh, we have a number of behemoth stables who just dominate the sport. But legally, can you challenge that and say to the like uh, likes of um, O'Brien, the Gosdens, Willie Mullins, Gordon Elliott, I'm sorry, but you can't have this month this this many horses in training. Um, I think that's a, a, a in common with most other people. I think legally that's a tricky one, and I, I was happy to to hear Harry Stewart more confirm that uh, and the other point to make is that if that if, if something like this ever did happen and it, they i think they brought up i'm not sure if it was it was it was the the rule was brought in but the the dominant trainer in in qatar for, for many years had so many horses that he was winning every single race so his stable was capped at, at a certain amount well the rest just went to the other bloke down the road and it was effectively the same thing under two names and i think that's what you just you'd end up getting well, there'll be ways around it. That's one. And you say, right, well, that, that horse isn't trained by me anymore. It's trained by my son uh, next door. And legally, if they're different licenses and different premises, then it's pretty hard to say, ah, oh, yes, well, but. Um, numerically, would it be possible to say, oh, no, no, those we, we, we lost five horses out of the stable last year. Um, uh, sorry, last week. They're in a barn across the way but they're not trained by me anymore and so we let this fellow come in and he's just won a, a group or a grade one race of course there'd be loopholes around it um in, in saying that one loves to see the small uh concerns win of course does one want to see success uh capped or or, or success um reined back and punished in this way of course the are answer to that is no too you know every uh every june or or late may uh people talk to me about the derby and they say oh isn't it a shame that you know aiden o'brien has got 
six, seven runners this year. And I say, yes, it is. And they say, well, surely you can cap the number of runners in the derby. And I said, the derby has to be an open event. You you cannot say, sorry, mate, you can only have your best two or three horses because nobody knows which ones they are at that point in a three-year-old Colts career anyway. So um, for all that, yes, of course, it's an unsatisfactory situation, but we're in uh, the the sad position, the awkward position, whereby the remedies are much worse than the unsatisfactory situation that we've got now. Well, you might remember earlier in the year when the Russian attacks on Ukraine began to intensify, we were very keen to monitor how the the horse population and the thoroughbred industry was surviving in in Ukraine. And we spoke to Alexander Malinovsky, who's the registrar of the Ukraine stud book and is instrumental in in running the the country's sport. I'm very pleased to say that Alexander can can join me again now for, for an update. Alexander, those were very difficult times. These are very difficult times. You were very worried about the well-being of the horses and the people, particularly on the stud farms in Ukraine when last we spoke. How, how are they getting on? And are, are many of them still occupied? Quite a lot of uh, stud farms are occupied. But we know that uh, the situation with them, uh, with the horses... The situation with the horses is uh, the horses in safe in safety. They uh, uh, they have feed and uh, people uh, manage them. So uh, it is uh, it is the main for us to know that uh, everything is uh, everything with horses is okay. So so you you're aware that you're you're there are four major studs that are that are under Russian occupation. But not, not the major, not uh, it's. Uh, I think that it is a half, but uh, one of uh, the best uh, stats uh, uh, in Ukraine uh, is occupied, and um, we also know that the information uh, that with the horses is everything okay, but uh, uh, we don't know what is uh, with falling uh, and uh, with the. Uh, covering uh but we know that the horses are safe and i suppose that that really at the moment is the is the most important thing and and what about the the people who were on those stud farms what about uh, your your fellow country people who were who were working and running those stud farms do you do you know of the of their well-being and whereabouts no we know you know that uh, now uh, it is a difficult period uh, in all our country because uh, it not only not not only touching uh, the uh, start farms and uh, all the people are are in very uh, uh, difficult conditions, but uh, the people uh, now in Ukraine and uh, also in the stats, uh, they uh, uh, started uh, to, um, to, I don't know, to to support each other uh, or started uh, um, to, to manage the situation. So they, they understand that it can, uh, uh, can be, cannot stop uh, until the end of the year and uh, they should leave and work and uh, do something. Uh, to help their country um, to work, uh, so uh, and 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 that's uh, that's why uh, we started uh, the racing uh, in, uh, in the race course. Uh, uh, we started uh, to a lot of people uh, in our start farms uh, start uh, make uh, how to say it uh, um, 
they prepare the feeding uh, for the horses, uh, hay, oats, uh, uh, for the next uh, uh, year, so for the for this uh, winter. So we know that the horses will be feeded uh, uh, on 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 the Ukrainian territory. And uh, uh, as far as far as the racing itself is concerned, am I right? You're 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 racing in Odessa again. Yeah, we started racing this year, and uh, the racing se- season started uh, at the end of uh, of June. Uh, not a lot of horses. It is approximately six thoroughbreds uh, uh, are on the race course, but uh, the breeders uh, uh, wanted uh, to see the result of their work, and uh, they wanted to to, to to start the racing season, and that's why we have a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of conversation about it because uh, it's uh, quite uh, quite uh, difficult territory now in Odessa uh, because a lot of uh, it, it is on the seaside and uh, a lot of uh, Russian uh, on the sea the boats uh, the, the war boats yes I, I don't know how, mm-hmm. how to tell it in yeah. English uh, yeah so the so the Russian the Russian Navy is is a is a is approaching yes. the coastline in Odessa. Yes. And uh, every day uh, the rockets uh, are sta- started uh, by Russian uh, Navy, and uh, it's it's quite strange. It's quite uh, terrible uh, to see that uh, because uh, we was uh, uh, three weeks ago uh, we have a racing day and we came to Odessa and uh, three rockets uh, uh, were. The flying uh, above the race course, but and uh, the one of the rocket uh, um, uh, weaponed uh, in the Odessa port. So it, it was quite uh, terrible, but but people used to uh, used to to live in in such conditions, and uh, you know it, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult uh, to to see that, but. Uh, but but we have to leave and uh, we have to carry on yes um alexander thanks so much for for talking to me again uh, we'll check in uh, periodically just to just to monitor progress in in ukraine i know a, a lot of people in the in the british racing industry uh, gay kelloway jonathan harding who's been on this program have been out to the borders to to try and get aid into into ukraine is this is this helping the the, the horse racing industry as well you know, uh, all um, support from uh, uh, European countries, from Great Britain, from USA, uh, it support not only uh, it support all Ukraine, and of course uh, it supports uh, uh, breeding because uh, uh, we know that uh, you know uh, I've told you about the Odessa that now we have quite good weapons uh, in Odessa and uh, uh, no rockets. Uh, Almost no rockets uh, come uh, come into the city, and uh, also in Kiev and uh, in other cities. Uh, so this uh, uh, support is uh, help help us uh, to survive. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, if we don't have uh, this support, uh, uh, sorry to say, we have all these uh, Russians uh, not only in. Uh, uh, Donetsk and Lugansk and Mariupol, we have it. Uh, we have uh, them all over Ukraine, and uh, uh, people don't want it. People don't want it. Alexander, stay strong. Thanks so much for talking to me. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for for your call and for your support. Thank you. Well, thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me, and he has a selection for you to kick off Ebor Week in style. 3.30 at Lingfield, mixed spirit, course and distance winner two starts ago. Uh, behind two rivals, went a close fourth last time, lost a shoe and raced towards the far side. I hope can get back to winning form here. 3.30 race at Lingfield Park, selection number one, mixed spirit. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends. And if you've got a little bit of time, uh, on whichever podcast platform you choose, give us a rating and a review. Be very grateful, as long as it's a good one. Uh, that was Monday, August the 15th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.